I wanted to just make mention of some people that are working very hard to kind of renovate some things. We really appreciate them. How many of you are, are pleased with what you see so far? Excited about what you're seeing? Yeah, I am too. And I appreciate so much, especially Steve and Christina Morales who have been here about every day. Uh, Steve took some vacation time to be able to work on things. And so many other people have painted and done different things. And work is continuing. And uh, even more will be there for uh, next, next Sunday. And uh, I'm excited about that. You know, this is only externals. It's only uh, enhancements. The real work goes on in here, doesn't it? That's the hardest part. And uh, so what we're trying to do is just create an environment where that can happen more easily because we know that's so hard. It's so difficult to worship the Lord. Uh, and so I want you to watch a video today that now that you've had worship described for you a little bit more, I want to ask you a question this morning. What do you think most Americans worship? Who or what do most Americans worship? Money. Money, okay. Golf. I, golf. <laughs> okay. Themselves. Probably a few. What? Themselves, Themselves okay. Anything else? Cars. Cars, okay. Social status. Social status, yeah, that's an important one. Anybody? Who or what do most Americans worship? False gods. False gods. A lot of different ones, right? <clears throat> things that are not Jesus. <laughs> things that are not like him. Now, what about us? What about the people sitting right here today? People sitting in this room. Who or what do we worship? I want you to think about that this morning. In fact, you'll probably hear that question a few times today. Let's say that someone was unwilling to answer that question out loud. You know, we put it to them. Who or what do you worship? I'm not going to tell you. Would there be any way to find out? Would there be any way for us to figure out who or what they worship? How would you do that? Cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Cookies on the computer? Okay, there you go. I was going to say, how, how could eating chocolate chip really help you on that? Yeah. Where their money goes. Follow the money trail, okay? The time, okay? Anything else? What about their energy, their effort, their passion for life, what they really pursue? What about uh, you know, the expenditure of time, the sacrifices they're willing to make? You know, all these could be indicators, and so maybe you could, could observe, if you could carefully observe their life, maybe you could figure out some of this stuff that way. There are a lot of outward signs don't necessarily show you the heart, but maybe they give you a pretty good indicator. Now, Jesus said you can look at the fruit of a person's life and you can figure them out. Well, we read uh, a little bit from John 12 before. This was the triumphal entry of Jesus in Jerusalem. I want to kind of revisit just the first couple verses of that because on this, this Palm Sunday when we celebrate people celebrating Jesus, <laughs> when we celebrate people worshiping Jesus on that day, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and so on. You know, what, what is it that they were doing? Whom were they really worshiping there? John 12, 12 says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So on that day, that Sunday, five days before Passover, Jesus is celebrated, he's adored by young and old alike. He'd raised the dead. 
And uh, many people have been told about that. Just, just a day or two before, he had raised Lazarus from the grave, about two miles away in Bethany. And so those people who observed that, who witnessed that miracle, came back to Jerusalem, and they told everybody they could tell, and pretty soon, you know, the whole street's buzzing with that news. And, and now they all come out, and they're stop, starting to shout, you know, here's, here's the one that came to save us. And they welcome him like this, this greatest hero who ever lived. Like the, this conquering king who, who just rescued the city. And they all come out to greet Jesus as he comes down into Jerusalem. But just five days later, just five days later, he's crucified. What happened? How could people shift that quickly in public opinion? How, how quickly the tide of public opinion can shift? It, can it? You know, you get one news story and it changes everything. Suddenly, suddenly somebody that's so popular, so, so uh, magnified in the world, you know, and just, just adored, is suddenly at the bottom of the heap because we just learned something. We just discovered something. Once they figured out that Jesus wasn't there to overthrow the Roman army and drive them out, when he wasn't there to just feed them every time they were hungry, he wasn't just there to satisfy all their whims, their desires, their needs in life, then they started changing. When they saw the Pharisees and the leaders uh, so much against him, so determined to stop him, and also saying, if you support Jesus, you're going to be on our blacklist. Then people started backing off very quickly. By week's end, some of the same people, many of the same people who were shouting for him on Sunday are now shouting, crucify him. Crucify him in five days. So let me ask you again. Who or what do you worship? It's not always easy to answer that question. If you worship God, is your worship sincere? Is it Steady, is it steadfast, or is it kind of wishy-washy, you know, kind of uncertain? Well, I worship him on Sundays, but can't really answer it as clearly on Monday morning, or maybe Friday or Saturday night. Does the object of your worship change with prevailing public opinion? Now, as long as you're around the right crowd, as long as you're with other Christians, then you have one opinion. But if you're by yourself and you're standing up against the crowd, does it change how you act and how you worship? Is your worship the same year after year, no matter how everyone else acts? This question is a very, very serious question. Because the answer that we give changes where we're going to spend eternity, doesn't it? Changes everything for the future. can change today as well. In John's writings, 1 John chapter 5, we've been looking at that all through this series on worship. And in chapter 5, uh, John is writing to his fellow believers. He's really concerned that they would get this, that they would understand. Here is, here is what we hold on to. Uh, he says, He who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so John's staking his life, John's staking his future on Jesus. And he had lived that way now for about 50 or 60 years. He had suffered a lot. And as he wrote this first letter to the fellow believers, uh, he was probably exiled on the Isle of Patmos. And uh, he's exiled there because of his faith. His life is not easy. It will probably never be easy. And he's probably thinking, I'm going to die just like all the other apostles have. But I know 
Jesus. And I know eternal life is in Jesus. So he writes to his fellow Christians to assure them that Jesus was the difference between life and death. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have eternal life. It's really that simple, John says. And John wanted his brothers and sisters to know without question that they had eternal life because they had someone. They had Jesus. And that was all the difference. Look down at verse 19. We know, look how much he uses the word know. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So this triumphal entry on Sunday, word spread very quickly that Jesus was coming. People wondered if Lazarus might be with him. It's, it's pretty good uh, uh, reason to believe that Lazarus would be right there. He, may, he only lived two miles away. Jesus probably spent that night in Lazarus and Mary and Martha's home. The next morning they make their way into town. It would be pretty natural for Lazarus to say, okay, we'll just walk along with you. And they get there and everybody's you know, just a mob. It's just multitudes of people welcoming Jesus. And they want to see not only Jesus, they want to see Lazarus, this guy who had been dead and is now alive once again. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, tells us that probably about three, three million people are in this fairly small city of Jerusalem. And maybe one or two million of them poured out into the streets to welcome him. This is not your weekend... Uh, St. Patrick's Day parade in Manassas, Virginia. This is much bigger. This is so big, nobody can get into the streets anymore, and Jesus can hardly make his way through. But by you, as you go into John 12, where this is recorded, you start seeing the separation happen, the, the great divide. Uh, you see people having to make some choices here. First one has to make a choice is Jesus, because yeah, this is great. Everybody's you know, shouting for me. Everybody's praising me. But he knows what's coming. And uh, it says in John 12, down around verse 25, 6 in there, he says he, he prays to God and he says, you know, uh, Father, you know, what, what is happening here? Am I, am I supposed to, you know, just go along with this or should I pray, save me from what's coming? Save me from this hour, he says, for the hour is death. He knows on Friday he's going to die. And he says, no, it was for this very reason I came. This is the reason I came. These people don't know it, but this is the reason I came. And so now glorify your son, that he may glorify you. And a voice comes from heaven, it says, John 12, 28. This voice comes from God. It thunders out. People thought they heard thunder. What was that? What did he say? And God spoke from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And he said that for Jesus' benefit. I'm with you. You are doing what I sent you to do. Well, by the end of the week, the people of Jerusalem have had to make their choices about Jesus as well. The common people as well as the Jewish authorities made a choice that they would not back Jesus. They would not stand with Jesus. And in fact, everyone turned on him. Even his disciples ran away, didn't they? None of them stood by him. We all must make a choice about Jesus. We all must make a choice to obey and follow Jesus or not. For the most part, people in Jerusalem rejected him. Only a few dared to even put their faith in him. We have Nicodemus, we have 
uh, Joseph. We have a few people that were like these, these closet disciples within the Jewish leadership. And then we have the, the Jewish disciples, or the Jesus disciples themselves, who are hiding. They still believe him, but they're just, just not ready to make the stand yet. Not ready to stand up for him. So let me ask you again, who or what do you worship? Not, not what you would say on Sunday morning when the preacher asks you in front of everyone else and you're supposed to expect it to give you know, the, the church answer, the Sunday school answer. Who or what do you worship when you go into school this week? Who or what do you worship when you're hanging out with your friends? Who or what do you worship when you're in the back room at your job? Or maybe people are standing there in the coffee room and Jesus is, is being vilified and criticized and Christians and something is being put down and you are being forced to take a stand. No, that's, that's not right. That's not what I believe. That's, that's not true. Who or what do you worship in that moment? Do you worship Jesus or someone or something else? Do you worship a false god or the true God? Do you worship the God of money, the God of material possessions, or the God who says, seek his kingdom first and all these other things will be added unto you? Do you worship the God of popularity and position? Or do you worship the God who says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you? Do you worship the God of influence and success? Or the God who says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up? If you in fact worship Jesus, which Jesus do you worship? What kind of Jesus do you worship? Do you worship the Jesus who goes easy on you? The Jesus who meets your spiritual needs but just doesn't really place any demands on your life. You don't let any of those demands hit you. Do you worship the Jesus who answers your prayers but always seem to answer the way you want them to? You don't hear the ones where he says no. Just the ones, yeah, go ahead. Do you worship the Jesus who makes you comfortable so that you never have to go anywhere that's risky or scary? So your discipleship, so your servanthood is always on easy turf. Do you worship the Jesus that is of your own making? A Jesus who lets you pick and choose which commands you will obey. A Jesus whose scriptures you can take or leave depending on how they might impact your life or your opinions or your personal desires. I don't think I like that one. We'll just mark that out. We'll let that one count. We'll let that take root. Is that the Jesus you worship? Well, I hope not because remember we all have to make a choice about Jesus. The Jesus we choose has to be the real Jesus. It has to be the real thing. That's why we're talking about getting real with God because Jesus can't be a Jesus we manufacture, we create, we design so that he's comfortable, he's easy, and he's non-demanding, non-threatening. Do you worship the Jesus who demands the very best you have to offer? Who so, so taps your energy, your potential, your mind, your physical strength, that you're exhausted at the end of the day because you've been serving Him? Do you worship the Jesus who said, if anyone would come after me, he's going to have to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me? Do you worship the Jesus who said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. Do you worship the Jesus who said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. Who or what do you worship? In one way, you don't even have to answer the question. 
Um, I don't, you don't know it, but I've hired 200 private investigators to watch your lives for the next week. <laughs> now, I wouldn't do that. I can't afford to do that, but I wouldn't do it anyhow. But imagine if somebody staked you out, somebody stalked you, somebody watched every movement, and they could get behind the scenes, they could get in your house, they could get in your car, they could be there quietly observing everything you did. You wouldn't have to answer the question, would you? Because it would be painfully evident who or what you worship by your life, by what you do every day. Now, it's not always easy to answer this question. We get bogged down with our daily responsibilities. We get bogged down with our family, with our job, with our friends. We have demands on us. We have circumstances that just push us, drive us, and pretty soon we start losing Jesus. We start losing this idea we're worshiping Him, we're serving Him, we're loving Him. It's about Jesus, it's not about me. And we just get someplace where we're just kind of lost about that. But your worship is much more than what happens here for an hour on Sunday morning, isn't it? It's about daily life. It's about the, the revelation of who or what you worship through how you live, uh, what you do with your time, what you do with your money. Your daily life reveals more powerfully than anything else who or what you worship. If somebody could just see all of that, they could pull up your cookies, Tim says. So you could pull out the checkbook, or you could pull out... You know, the debit card registry from that month. You know, just they send it to you. You see it online. Wow. That's a pretty good picture of who or what I worship. When you look at how you spend your time and your money, how you look at how you, you raise your kids, what you teach them, what you set for an example for them, uh, you can tell a lot about who or what a person worships. When you look at what you're willing to save and sacrifice for, all of us save and sacrifice for something. Is it a car? Is it a house? Is it a family vacation? What is at the top of your list that you would sacrifice anything for? Is it Jesus? I doubt it sometimes. Don't you? We show our worship when we serve other people. We show our worship when we live by the priorities and the values that God has given us and what were important to Jesus. So this list could go on and on, but I want you to see this morning that our daily life tells us everything we need to know about this question, who or what do we worship? Eternal life hangs in the balance. There is no middle ground. There is no comfortable, safe place where we can can refuse to answer that question. We can't say, forget it, I'm ignoring that, I'm pretending, I'm going to bury my head in the sand and pretend it doesn't matter, because it does matter, because you have named the name of Jesus, you have said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and who or what you worship has been answered, now live it. Live it every day, live it by your values, live it by your time, live it by your money, and how you use that, live it by, by the investment you're making in other people, by the hours you spend, the energy you spend. Jesus wants us to make the right choice. He died so that we could make the right choice. It should be very evident. He wants that. He wants us to live. He wants us to, to know Him. He wants us to have eternal life in Him. And He loves us enough that He was willing to sacrifice His life so that we could be saved. He wants us to choose Him. 
Because when we choose him, we choose eternal life. When Luke recorded Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he says that it, there, was a, there was a pause. There was a moment. Somewhere down uh, the road, as he's coming over the hill, you go down into a valley and then you come back up into the city. And somehow at that point, he could see the city like a, like a vista laying out in front of him. And here are all the people gathering, all the, the, the coats and the palm branches being thrown down and people just thronging and so excited. It's a big party, big parade. And Jesus is crying. Jesus is weeping. And Luke tells us the reason is he's looking down at the city and he's imagining what is to come. And in just a few years, the city was going to be under siege by the Romans and the city was going to be destroyed and people were going to die. And, and the reason being, Luke tells us, is because Jesus knew that they didn't recognize Jesus when he came. They didn't really get the Savior when God sent him. And so he cried. He wept. His heart broke for those who were rebelling against God. Those who refused to see what God was doing. He came to save them. But most of them rejected him. The Bible says that God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anybody in this room to perish. He wants every person in here. If you've never become a Christian, he wants you to become one. If you've never decided that Jesus is the Savior and Lord of your life, God wants that for you because he knows it's the very best decision you could ever make. He knows that if you will choose Jesus, you will choose eternal life. He knows if you will choose Jesus, you will have the best life you could ever have on this planet Earth. And you will certainly have a far greater eternity than most people will know. So who do you worship this morning? Is it Jesus? Does he mean everything to you? Is he your Lord and Savior? Now we're at a crossroads as a church. We're at a time when we have to decide who can we count on. That is the bold, blunt truth of it. We're at a crossroads. And so today, we're going to ask you to make a decision. It's a simple decision in one way, because you've probably already made it. But will you stand up for Jesus? There's some of you here today that have never become a Christian. I'm going to invite you to come forward if you want to become a Christian today. If you want to say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, I don't know all that that means, I don't know exactly where that's going to go, but I'm willing to do that because he's the one that can save me. He's the only one that can forgive my sins, the only one that can give me eternal life, and I want Jesus. I'll go wherever he goes. I'll do whatever he says. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to invite you to come forward in a moment. No music, nothing else. And then I'm going to invite everyone else that is a Christian who really would answer that question, who or what do you worship? What's well, Jesus? I worship Jesus. To come up here and take a stand for Jesus. I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to ask everybody else just to come up, come around me. If you want Jesus, if you want to stand for Jesus, I'm going to ask you to come up. We're going to pray together. We're going to seek God together. We're going to say, you can count on me. You can count on me, Jesus to be there for you, to worship you, to live for you, and, and to obey you. If you are not yet a Christian, and you want to become a Christian today, would you stand up and just come up here? I'm not going to put a you know, big spotlight on you or make you say anything. I just want you to come up and say, I know I need Jesus. Anybody? Why don't you all just stand up? It may make it a little easier for people. Just stand where you are. 
If anybody feels God tugging at your heart today and God is speaking to you, you need Jesus in your life. He is the only one that can save you. Would you just come up and stand? God wants you to make this decision. Now, secondly, if you are someone who answer that question, who or what do you worship? With one name, and that name is Jesus. And you will stand for Jesus, not in only this moment, in this place, where it's easy, where it's comfortable, where there are others going to do it, but you will stand for Jesus everywhere you go, every place he takes you, whatever it means, whatever it costs. Would you come up and join us and stand with us? Now, I want you to know something this morning. Um, the path is not going to be easy. Apostle John knew that. He'd spent 50 or 60 years of his life sacrificing, uh, being mocked, suffering, um, eventually died without ever being able to go back home. Um, most of the other apostles died a pretty cruel death. Now, that's probably not going to be what happens to you or me, but there are going to be a lot of people that will be opposed to what we do. A lot of people that are not sure that we're on the right path. If your decision today is to stand for Jesus Christ, then um, God's going to honor that. And God's going to do some powerful things in our lives. As a church, as New Hope Christian Church, this will make such a tremendous difference for what we can do for God if we stand here together. I don't know if you can join hands with somebody around you, but please do that. And uh, let me let me lead our hearts in prayer as we do that. Just find somebody. Touch your shoulder if you can't get their hand. You don't only have two hands to share. Okay. Would you pray with me? Uh, God, we are just in awe of you. We are in awe of your love uh, that you would send Jesus into the world, that he would give his life for us. Uh, Father, we come before you taking our stand for Jesus in a, a safe and comfortable environment. But knowing this means we will take our stand for Jesus in places not so safe or comfortable. It may be school, it may be uh, in our neighborhood, maybe out behind the houses of the neighborhood where not always good things happen. It may be in the mall, it may be at our job, it may be in a dark alley somewhere, maybe uh, in a very unsafe place. It may be at a, a school or a neighborhood where we would not normally go. It may be uh, in, in ways that we can't predict, we can't foresee. We're just saying we're willing, we're ready, and we take our stand with you. Uh, Lord, bless us as a church, bless us as individuals here who are committed to Jesus Christ. And help us to love you, to worship you, to serve you every day. Unspoken prayers right now. That we would take our stand for you wherever we go. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Would you return to your seats, please?